Welcome to West Virginia and Commonplace. Today, we are tackling a huge topic, and we have someone that has survived this topic and is continuously thriving inside of this topic. Her name is Ariel Johnson. And Ariel, can you please tell everybody a little bit about yourself and why you're here today? Yes, of course. So my name is Ariel Johnson, and December 13, 2007, I was in a car accident. Uh, I was in a coma for a month and a half. I had to learn how to walk, talk to everything all over again. I had a brain injury. So it's a traumatic brain injury. But what happened was I, um, they had to do a craniectomy, which is they removed the right part of my skull to relieve the pressure because I was internally bleeding. I was on life support for about two and a half weeks. Um, I, yeah, so then uh, they did, they performed it and I was in a coma for a month and a half, roughly about that time. And then when I woke up, I noticed my encaved skull, like literally half of my head was missing. So then I had to stay in the hospital for a little bit longer. Um, and then come March 3rd, they, um, March 3rd, 2018, they put a plate back in, an acrylic plate. And that's, I believe it's called a craniotomy. And people normally don't survive, like the risks, of brain surgeries, especially a craniectomy, the craniotomy, well, more of the craniectomy is to survive. It's like, I'm a miracle. And I kind of forget that sometimes, <laughs> like I'm going throughout life and I'm just like, like, I, I forget. Um, but so then I uh, went back home. I walked on graduation. I got a standing ovation. And then come July, I, um, so I recovered pretty quickly physically, but mentally and emotionally that took years. So fast forward to, um, around 2012, 2013, I was at my worst. Like I was depression, suicidal thoughts, the whole nine yards. So I thought of the idea of coming up with TBI me, which is I'm like thinking, I'm like, okay, there has got to be someone out there in this world that has a brain injury that is going through what I'm going through and I thought okay you know why don't I do a social media account like my mom's in marketing I saw her doing um social media and stuff and she had the camera set up and I tried it but I would get so frustrated myself because I was like I would try the videos and I would screw up and I'd be like oh I can't do this so then I, I kind of just rec more recovery, more recovery. And I eventually left and I moved in with my boyfriend and then the, uh, the, the, what is it called? The Corona happened and we had to stay inside and I'm like, okay, that's it. You know, I I'm starting it like it, this it's now or never, <laughs> come on, you got to do it. <laughs> and it took me legit seven years to, to do it. And then I got a ring light and I was like, I had to get comfortable with myself and camera. So now I created TBI Me to, to help, to really just help and connect with brain injury survivors. And you don't even have to have a brain injury. You know, you could be going through depression or, you know, just to kind of bring everybody together. Another okay. And, and, and I like, and I, and, and I like that you're doing that because like when I went on your page, after we started talking, like you notice um, you're doing what you and, and it's a lot of people that are starting to bring this to the forefront making mental health not taboo um because that's something i focus in on I, I do different try to do different concentrations like anxiety depression because it's so many different levels to um 
mental health. And I don't call it an illness. I say mental health because we all go through facets of these things, but specifically traumatic brain injury um, to the, to the audience that necessarily would not know what that is. Um, could you explain to them um, what that is? And you even gave me an insight in our little pre-call, like the first four minutes we talked before we even started this, you even explained to me that a co- like uh, having a concussion, you know, is a traumatic brain injury. So traumatic brain injury is basically like, now I'm not a doctor, right? I've just been through the, the ringer. So a concussion, I'm, I'm, I, I try to learn as much as possible as, uh, as a TBI survivor, but a concussion is a form of TBI because you're hitting your head. And I, I've gotten a bunch of concussions when I was younger and my cousins did. And I, I've noticed that younger children do get them when they're younger because they, you know, they fall and they trip up a trip and stuff um but yeah so the more and more like i didn't know the uh, i met a lot of tbi survivors and a lot of them were concussion survivors where like literally they slipped on ice and they hit their head and then everything changed their life changed from just hitting their head once on ice or running down the stairs and their they hit their head and it wasn't, they didn't go and they didn't have to deal with brain surgery and being in a coma. Like it, it, it like that, like, I don't think people understand, like your head is everything. Your brain is everything. That's how you operate. And just be careful, I guess, like to your <laughs> head. So yeah, so concussions um, are a form of TBI. And, all right, so um, could you give us a little insight? And, and I know that you've, you've talked about this before, but um, just so the listeners can get a roundabout uh, idea of who you are just a little bit more. Could you tell us about the day before you had your accident? So honestly, I don't, so I don't remember. So I remember, okay, I was in high school. I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't, um. I didn't have any structure in my life. I was a 17 year old kind of just flopping around, like following friends, like, you know, drinking, doing whatever, you know, partying. And then I'm, it's, it's crazy to say, but I'm so happy that the accident happened to me. I mean, yes, I had to go through being on tons of pills and um, going through severe depression and like suicidal thoughts, but I'm so glad it happened to me because if not, I would not be in the predicament that I'm the situation I am in now where I can help people because it's like before I was just so, I didn't care. I didn't care about what I was doing. I didn't even know if I was going to go to college. This kind of set me, not to say like, you don't, like you don't have to go to college to be successful, but I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So it's like the accident was a blessing in disguise in the sense that it, it like, it like put me in a better direction. And it was like, okay, now you can go, you can start driving again. You can, you, you have, you have a set, you have a vision and a direction now, which is really cool. Cause I don't know where I would have gone if it didn't happen to me. <laughs> So. All right. And, and from that, uh, obviously, you got this passion to educate people about um, mental health. And uh, 
things like that. And another thing, like you said earlier, like you started developing into doing these videos. And I noticed like, uh, uh, as I got to see more of like your Instagram stuff, like you're in front of the camera now, like you're there, um, you know, and you, go ahead. So like it's in the beginning, I have, so I, to tie it now, to tie it into anxiety, I have really bad anxiety and I'm not afraid to admit it because it's like, why not? No, like every, I'm realizing everybody, especially in today's age has anxiety. Like, so being in front, I was so nervous about being in front of the camera, right? Because I have like deal with body dysmorphia and, and especially because my incaved skull. So this is where, so like, I don't know if you can tell, but this, whatever. So this is the incaved skull and I was so nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, people are going to judge me. I'm going to be like ridiculed. And then I was like, you know what? They had a talk with my boyfriend. He was like, Carol, just do it. Just do it. You're helping people. Like, just do it. So I was like, all right, just kept on doing, kept on getting in front of the camera. And I was like, I put those, those thoughts aside, like the negative thoughts that people were going to um, judge me, put it aside. And I was like, listen, I have one life. It took me seven years to get a ring light and to do this. Let's just do it. And then I just started getting comfortable and comfortable and comfortable. And I'm able to do well, interviews or like hour-long interviews and be okay with it and not have my anxiety go through the roof or the fact that like um my communication as a TBI survivor my so there are things as a TBI survivor that people don't realize that you go through because it's inside the brain right so yes. one of them so I, I said yes yeah, yeah so one of them being communication right so I had such an issue with communicating with people I did not know how to do it. So I like, I didn't, I would stutter. I would like trip over my words and be like, oh, did I say the right thing? Did I, what, what's going on? So I did, I read seven highly um, habits of effective people. And I just kept on like getting, like reading a lot, a lot, a lot. So that's what I do on my free time. I read a lot so I can be better in front of camera, right? Public speaking. Cause this is in a sense, public speaking. So I try to read as much books. Um, I try to, you know, just be a better interviewer or person on the camera. Hold on one second. My dog. Um, so yeah. So I've just um, tried to get as comfortable as possible on camera. Okay. And one thing I like to do on the show, because we always talk about the, the high, the good part. Um, about what's going on. Um, Hold on one second. Okay. So Ariel, you get out here, you're, you've got this new motivation, you got this new self-esteem, and you're out here and you put out your first video. What was your first disappointment from putting out your first video? I honestly, because, you know, Instagram, uh, TikTok, you see all these likes and all these views and, you know, these, these Instagram models and they're, you know, getting such 
so many likes and so many views from from doing something completely different. And I'm like, okay, my I had such bad doubts because I was like, nobody, like after I did my first or second video, I was like, nobody is gonna want to see this. No, I'm never gonna get like I had such negative thoughts, and I was like, because it's like mental health, like who who's gonna want to talk about this or who's gonna want to listen and view and then lo and behold uh more and more videos i just kept on putting out and i was just you know what whatever i don't care i don't care if people don't like it if if i get one view or if i get two comments that are genuine i'm okay with that like my expectations were really really high when i set my first or second video and i had so many doubts but then i was like after a while i was like i don't care about the likes i don't care about the views I care if I'm genuinely connecting with people and helping people because at the end of the day, that's all we are as human beings on this planet is to give good energy. And I want people to just get good vibes when they see a video. And I want them to see vulnerable, like me being vulnerable and me being real because you don't see that on Instagram or TikTok. You see a lot of fake, facade you know but no this is me this is i i you know this is me i can't i can't hide the fact that what happened to me i would rather just kind of like make it known and whoever can learn from it or benefit from it that's all that's all i want is to help people so okay and i can see that like and, that, and that's like the whole focal point of what everybody should do when you're out here it's not about a like it's not about getting trajectory or becoming viral it's about the actual point of helping someone because you could be the difference in someone um improving their life or not improving their life and i'm not saying death or anything or suicide i'm just talking about actual um productivity in your life because that's something that that it's that's a misconception uh people don't people think that you just you build yourself up and you get great and you're awesome every every day and all the time. No, you help someone build up on Monday because of your video. On Tuesday, they may be a little down. They watch a video again on Wednesday and you know you're good to go. So yeah. that's 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 the kind of stuff there that you uh really it uh builds you up and uh keeps you going. Now let's talk about anxiety real fast because we're gonna just jump across everything. How has uh anxiety increased in your life since your accident? So I think, so I did a video back in the day of a, a cup, right? But it was see-through and I had put an egg, regular egg and your skull is this, is this and the egg is your brain. So I literally popped this in and then I uh, squiggled it around and then it was all broken in the yolk, right? So that's basically what happens when you have a TBI, right? Or traumatic brain injury. Okay. So my anxiety was like i didn't really have anxiety back in high school my anxiety plummeted like it, it went from here to here so it's like i i worry and also my anxiety because i had to relearn how to do everything all over again now i'm talking about a lot of things were foreign to me but a lot of things i remembered so it was really weird so it's like watching a show all over again or or um uh, how do i say it? like um doing things like brushing my hair again or or like i would have anxiety that i didn't do it correctly and then i would go out into the real world and i'd be like oh i think i did it all good and then i actually didn't and then my anxiety 
went up through the roof. So it's like that, it's just the new, like being so new to the world again, new eye, new fresh eyes. And it's like having that anxiety to try to be a citizen again, right? That's all I wanted to be. I just wanted to be normal. I wanted my old life back, but do it 10 times better. Cause if shit, pardon me, like, if, sorry, if I can, if I can um, fight death, I'm about to be a billionaire. I, like, you know what I'm saying? Like if I yes. can do this, I can definitely own many houses and get as much money as I can. Like I, I have a really high, high hopes and dreams for myself because it's just like the more I go throughout life and the more anxiety I have, I'm learning that the one thing I am learning through reading and through learning you have 90 seconds to emotion comes in like a high emotion such as anxiety right <clears throat> you have 90 seconds that it takes for it to just go away so i kind of hold on to that 90 seconds and i count and i'm like okay <sighs> or i do something else or i jump or i do like just i i fight through the 90 seconds of anxiety and then before you know it it's gone you know what I mean? Or I sleep it off or I do something else. And I'm like, all right, that those 90 seconds are gone. It's I'm done. And now I can move on to something else. So it's just kind of working through my anxiety that it's an everyday, it's a work in progress, but it's, it's okay. a work in progress. All right. And, and with that right there, that's probably one of the gems inside of this episode that someone will hear later because you talking about that, like, like you said, that expression of giving the authenticity, the rawness of what really happens. That's what helps people. That's what attracts them. You have a support group mm -hmm. that you have. Could you elaborate a little bit on that and let uh, the audience know about that? Yes, of course. So um, I'm the survivor, the warrior that went through this whole situation, my, my trauma. So I actually created a, um, a, a group, a Facebook private group for TBI caregivers to kind of come in and talk. It's on Facebook and it's private and they can just talk. They can complain. They can be, they can be happy. They can be whatever, but it's in a safe space where it's just TBI caregivers and no one else. Okay. And that works out pretty good uh, for them because they give them a space to talk. And that's yeah. one thing, this whole communication thing, um, I was talking to somebody about this. This is something I learned and um, I'm from originally the state of Virginia, but I live in West Virginia now. Um, one thing we were taught in school, and it's this real simple thing. You're taught about the colors, like the light. You see light in transparent, translucent, and opaque. And when you see these things, uh, transparent is you can see it directly. Translucent, it's a little blurry. OPEC, you can't see through it. So what we were taught in school is you translate that to communication. You have to be transparent with some, translucent with some, and then OPEC are usually the people that you necessarily don't get through to at that moment, but you still have to talk to them all in the same manner. But you learn these three different people. And once you learn those three methods of communication, no matter what you do, you can tailor certain things to certain ones at certain times because you're not going to reach every single person with your message at once. No. But doing your message in three different ways, you know, kind of so cool. And that also kind of goes into setting healthy boundaries, right? Yes. Because, like, I don't know if you're familiar with narcissists. Like, yes. <laughs> narcissists in the world. But one of those like opaque is, like you said, opaque is you can, in a sense, gray rock them. I show no emotion. 
right? So that you can go as far as being as transparent as possible to then just gray rocking and just being like, okay, and understanding you're dealing with this kind of person. You know what I mean? Showing no emotion, showing no re reaction and processing what's coming to you and just being like, okay, I'm not gonna react. This is, you want a reaction, but I'm not going to give you one. So that's how in a sense you can be okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's great because like I said, it's just the, the experience that people get and like someone like yourself, um, when you do these messages and all, and all this stuff, you're looking to see what's going to be longstanding and what's going to hold up. So with you inside of your messages, what would be the longstanding message that you want to give to everyone in these categories? So to just always be kind. You don't know what someone's going through. You could be on a subway and they could be just having a bad day or, or it's, it's not even about that. It's just being about, sorry, that was my dog. You can, so you can, it's just about being kind to people because you don't know what they're going through in their head or through anything. Like just be nice to people because you just don't know what they're going through. Okay, so now we'll do a little scenario real quick. So you've gone through, you've done your videos, um, you're helping out with your support group. So what is the next thing for Ariel Johnson? What is the next platform you're going to jump on? I would love, love, love to do public speaking, like at, um, um, like to speak to mental health professionals or even just speaking on a stage to many. And, um, for my book to do really well. I'm writing a book as well um, about my experience and it dives a lot deeper into my trauma and stuff. And it's also trauma-based, so it's taking a while, but as I'm going through life, I it's really cool. It's like I'll have moments where I'm like, okay, I need to write that down in my book or I need to do a video. Cause like everything you see, everything you see is real. Like what I go through with in life is what you're seeing. Like I'll do a video randomly and I'll be like, I'll be at the laundromat and I'll be like, all right, I need to do a video on this. And then I'll just do it. And then I'll be like, okay, I got to write that in my book. Right. And then I, let's talk about behavior in my book and then let's do it on. Uh, so yeah, I just want to, I'm working on my book and then mainly public speaking once my book comes out. Okay. Now with this book, um, Anybody that writes a book usually does two things. It's a self-care and it's a self-help because as you're writing it and you're seeing it, it you know, we, we both know this. there's different contexts. Like when I hear something versus when I see it, you know, in a written form or in a physical form, um, it does different things. It stimulates different um, things inside my mind, different emotions. So what was the first reaction when you first put the pen or if you typed it, however you did it, what was it like to put the first page of this book together? So I, because I don't remember, I was told everything um, from what first initially happened. I texted my sisters and my parents and I was like, hey, who's willing to talk to me about what happened? And I actually, my sister was like, I'll do it. And then I actually videotaped video. Um, I talked to my sister video, like FaceTime and yes. I recorded it. And I basically just extracted all the audio and written form about what she said because she just went so in depth of my accident because I don't remember anything of it. And then I just went from there, what I could remember 
And then I think that's how it's gonna start, explaining my accident through my sister's eyes and then me elaborating from it. Cause it comes from like a, a point of like rawness cause you're hearing it from her and you're hearing it from her point of view and you're not hearing it from my, and then eventually it's gonna go through my perspective but you're gonna hear, you're gonna read what really, really happened and then I'm going to elaborate off of that throughout the book and my perspective. Okay. And in this process of writing a book, because now that you have a new title, you're an author. Mm -hmm. um, when, when you do finish this book, which, you know, it could take time or it could be real fast. It just depends on if you get writer's block in between. Yeah. Um, who's the first person you're going to get to review your book or, or edit your book? Is it going to be your sister? Well, I'm, I'm actually, it, it's going to be my family. It's going to be my boyfriend, Taekwon, and then my sisters. So it's going to be everyone. I'm going to have like a, a, a sit down, like a, um, you know how they have like music sessions, like where they yes. like parties. <laughs> so it's going to be like that. And it's, I, I'm going to give everyone a copy of the book once it's edited out by an editor. And once it's in like final form, I want them to first read it. And I want to hear their reactions because they're my they're my support you know like everybody has a support group they're my support group so i need to get their a-okay -okay from you know what i mean like not their a-okay -okay, because i i know i can you know but i i want them to approve of it first and then i'll go okay, from there yeah and then i'll go from there and let the world see all right, so I have a topic I want to talk to you about because some people, and this is a mental health topic that people like, it causes arguments, like, and people get really enraged about this. And it's this famous phrase called codependency. Mm. Um, I'll give you my take real quick. Um, people say that I admit that I'm codependent on my co-host. She's also my girlfriend, Stacy. Oh. She helps me, she helps me through my vices, like when things happen, and your boyfriend obviously helps you. Um, but they say I'm codependent on her to handle my emotions. But I say this about codependency. Um, and I'm not talking about like the aspect of someone being single and not having people. I'm just talking about just having someone there to help you. It doesn't matter if it's a boyfriend or just a friend or or whoever or non-binary, whatever you do. Um, the thing is like, how do you how do you feel about codependency? My thought is this: I am codependent on someone else sometimes to handle certain things that I'm necessarily not gonna handle um that well. And that codependency is mutualistic because if she needs something i'm there for her like okay so my view on that is yes i can be codependent 1000 percent, and but that's the whole point of a partnership right because it's at the end of the day it's a relationship and it's a partnership if it's bouncing off of each other right it's the energies so if you fault in something your emotions she can help you with that and that's okay and i think it goes this goes into society society thinks that it's okay to have it to have a stay in your relationship like that codependency when it's like no if you can if you're a whole person and you can you know do things without her then i don't i don't think you're in a sense codependent like i don't think i don't i don't i don't I think a partnership is a yin and a yang, right? Yes. You help each other out in certain situations. Like if I can't, I can do this and then he'll do this. Like he'll walk the dog and I'll 
you know, pick up the poop or like, you know what I mean? Like little things, you help each other. Mutualistic things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a partnership and it's a friendship. That's the bottom line, you know, cause you can't yeah. be perfect. I'm certainly not perfect and he's certainly not perfect. So, but we, we work really well together and so we can we can pretty much say like that you agree like that there is some type of codependence we do develop somewhere with someone in our support group of course of course because you need that as a human you need that dependency but it's when it's taken too far like a little is okay it's life is all about balance right so it's okay if if it's like as long as it's just not too much it's like if you eating too much food or like eating too much of something. You just wanna have a little bit and then it'll work out, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Now here, tying into something more deeper, cause I like to talk to people that engage in mental health uh, activities and exercises. Um, when we're starting at the very beginning, you, you said something about boundaries. One thing that I had to learn about my mental health, uh, early on in life, I had a traumatic event happen to me, my father died. And he was killed in an accident. So I went to a therapist and we all go to, to a therapist at some point in life or for something. And if you don't go to a therapist, I always tell people sometimes going to get the professional help does help sometimes. Um, so the one thing that I had to learn, and I learned this at the age of eight, um, boundaries. And I want to talk to you about that. At age uh, eight, I learned what boundaries that I have to not put up a electrical fence to keep people out. But I have to have a defense mechanism for certain people and certain things because I always have to look at with my boundaries, someone's intent. Mm. And with their intent, if I can't judge it in the first 90 seconds of me meeting you, like you said, the 90 seconds about slowing down, (laughs) then I have to let you inside that fence and I have to take care of whatever repercussions that I get for letting you inside those walls that I normally keep, I'm very defensive about or set boundaries about because I want to learn more about you or I want to engage more with you in life. So mm-hmm. when I learned about how to set certain boundaries and how to keep certain people at certain levels in these boundaries, it helped me from age eight and I'm 36 now. So obviously I've learned even better boundaries. Yeah. With experience. So tell me about um, you. How did you start setting boundaries? So like I said, with a brain injury, it's really hard for, it was really hard for my family to kind of, acclimate right and mm-hmm. we would be at the and that's another reason why I started the TBI caregiver group because I saw over the years I saw what my mom my dad and my sisters were going through and I'm like oh people need support so that's where I created that ties into the support group that I created but I as a TBI survivor you imagine you're a baby all over again like I woke up from a coma so I was fresh technically fresh out of the womb right but I remembered a lot of things. So it was a little different. So I would get extremely, extremely tired or my social battery. Like now I, my social battery comps out really quickly. So I'm like, I was out, for instance, I was out with my sisters and we were, we were, I was hanging out with them for a couple of hours. And then I was like, listen, they're twins. And I was like, listen, twins, I got to cut the cord. I'm my social battery is out. I got to go home. Like I knew I, 
knew the trigger. Like I, I just knew it. So I, I just kind of told them I was just up and honest. I was like, listen, I gotta, I'm, you have about 15 minutes of me left. And then I got to head home, you know? And especially when I first came out of the hospital and there, there was dinner tea, like everybody would be at the dinner table talking over each other. I would just kind of do what's best for me. Cause at the end of the day, setting healthy boundaries is doing what's best for you. Right. Yes. Making sure that your mental health is good. Like understanding that there are people around and you love and stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're not a hundred percent, you can't show up and be a hundred percent for that. So you have to check yourself. So I would do check-ins. I would do mental health check-ins and I still do it to this day. Like not realizing I'd be like, okay, Ariel, you good? Like, okay, can you, can you handle another hour of this loud talking? Can you, can you handle this? Can you handle this? And I would do these mental check-ins with myself and then I'll be like, okay, let them know now. Or, or even if it's um, like sometimes, so it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be like that. Like if the same, if I'm fighting with someone, right. Okay. And I'm like, all right, this toxic, toxicness, I can't handle. I would literally have to, again, set boundaries and just say like, hey, listen, this is not working out. Like kind of set it like a business mindset. Like, you know how like business, you keep it real. It's no emotions involved. So that's something sometimes you have to do. Like, hey, listen, I this is just not working for me right now. I need to work on myself or, or I just need to eliminate myself away from this. So I okay. Now you've made a, a, a good point about mental check-in on yourself and doing that for others also. But one step that I take into it that I had to learn, and I just learned this in my 30s. Like I'm talking about like I may have actually probably just learned this like nine months ago. Um, because I had something traumatic happen. Uh, also everything that happens with me is death. Uh, a girlfriend that I was dating, she had a bypass gastric bypass surgery and they nicked her bowel and she passed away from that. So that was really you know really crazy for me and I had people that checked in on me all the time for my mental health and stuff like that but one friend did something a step further he said that I can't help you because I don't know your situation but I want to tell you this he just hold on let me finish because it'll make sense he said he said I can tell you this though everyone's going to check in on you but I want you to do mental mental health maintenance to yourself and he gave me a set of just goals he's like these things help me, even though I, I can't relate to your situation. I, I have empathy for you. Wow. He said, he said, do this mental health maintenance and see how it helps you. So I will get on Instagram story for like 90 days or a long time, just post a picture, whatever. And I wouldn't write anything with it or anything. I just do it in my stories. Just so I had that thought of, I'd see her every day when I looked at my phone at lunch or something like that. And these were certain keys that he gave me, but he gave me a, men- a maintenance schedule, not a, just a check-in or a checkup, the, a maintenance schedule that I kept every single day. And I was like, this guy helped me. Everybody else helped me, but I was like, this one guy, even though he clearly, his first statement was that he couldn't help me or he couldn't relate. He did more for me than anybody else because he gave me a, a different way of thinking about my mental health. So I was like, I'm going to do a mental health maintenance on myself. And when I have free time, like you said, with setting boundaries, there's people that are engaged with me that I'm going to be like, hey, have you done your mental health maintenance? So what would your thought be on that? That is so smart. Like at first, like when you said, I was like, 
was like, wait a minute, he's not going to like show you support or empathy or, but you said he's going to show you empathy, but the maintenance is the number one thing because it's like, you're grieving. You are grieving someone, you know, and it's, and it's like, you need to kind of go through, like, I feel I saw Janae, I go, she had explained that life is a feeling. It's a feeling journey, right? It's a feeling process. So it's like feeling grief and feeling it out and cycling it out your body and understanding, like doing those maintenance checks and be like, okay, today I feel really still like still sad, but tomorrow maybe I'll feel this way. And it's just like talking to yourself and, and uh, letting, feel, feeling these things out, whether they're good or they're bad. And I think that really helps with the maintenance thing, rather than trying to fight these feelings that come into view. You know what I mean? It's like, cause they're, I feel like if, if you don't grieve now, it's going to show up in your life in a different way, whether it's like, cause you have stored trauma because, okay, if trauma happens to you, it's stored in your body. Right. So that's why they say to do yoga or to do exercise to release that physically stored trauma, especially yoga, which is really good. So, and I tried that and it was, it was, it was a good experience. It worked pretty good. So, so, so like, just like you said, and you actually do a mental health maintenance on yourself, like what what you said and how you direct certain things, like uh, the cause and effect. If I stay too long in this, this yeah. effect will happen. And that was something that I really wanted to, th- to thank you about and appreciate you expressing on this show for the simple fact, uh, like you said, those little, like I, I keep iterating it, those little interactions that we uh, talk about, like, like just things like that, it, it relates and it helps the mind and it helps you de-escalate things. Um, the problem that I had in life, and I'm going to ask you about this, I compartmentalize things. I put things in little, I used to put things in little boxes and put them on a shelf in my mind and not deal with them. So how do you break that? How did you break compartmentalizing things? Understanding that it's, you literally, you have to, you, you, it, it's, um, you have to make it a habit because it takes 21 days to make a habit, right? So every day kind of write, no, 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 write it down. I find writing everything down, whether if it's on a piece of paper and putting it under your pillow, like my goals, I, I did, I put it on, I would put it under my pillow and my goals would come to life, but it's writing these things out, writing these emotions, instead of keeping them up here, because then you're going to explode. You're like one day you're going to have all these emotions and these compartmentalize all these things. And one day it's going to just get to be too much and you're going to explode. So I like to write things out or even talk them out. Like when they happen, like through my videos, I find that's really easy. Or I talk to, you know, my boyfriend, or I talk to my grandma and I just kind of like let, let it out. Cause if you keep it in, you're going to just become a volcano and it, you're just going to like freak out one day. And it, you know what I'm saying? Like just write it down and like, write, put it in boxes, like write out what's bothering you in each box and say, okay, today I'm going to focus 10 minutes on this box and I'm going to write everything. I'm going to write bullet points down on just this box. I'm going to focus on just this box and get it all out. You know what I mean? So you can set 
set a timer for 10 minutes to work on just that box. And that'll, and then the minute you finish it, yeah, it's out of your mind. It's out of sight, out of mind. You're done with it. Goodbye. It's like I say, my, my grandma's favorite famous phrase. It's like putting your hair in a ponytail. It's all behind you. It, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's all behind you. And it's like, just, it's, it's away from you. Okay. So we did um, talk about your book. We talked about your support group. We talked about what you do as a whole. Um, but outside of this, you have your boyfriend, you all um, are at home in the evening time. You've done all this stuff for the day and you're yeah. sitting down uh, and whatever you do to uh, relax, watch TV or just talk. Yeah. You're sitting there and um, a message pops up on Instagram. We're just going through a scenario and someone tells you that you really helped them. You reached them today. How does that make you feel as a person? And then how do you express that inside your household? Because um, we don't, we as, as people that help people, we don't look for gratification through someone saying that we helped them. We look, we get gratification just knowing that we're putting out that, that knowledge or that experience. So how does that make you feel? And how does that translate into your household? It, I, I'm it love because at the end of the day, if you're not operating on love, you're not, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you operating on heat? What? So it, it just, I've been told I'm like a love bucket, right? So I, it just makes me feel better knowing that I'm helping people and it makes me want to continue doing what I do. And it just pours more love into my, my space, our space. You know what I mean? Giving yes. love to my dog, giving love to my boyfriend, just like love at the end of the day. Cause that at the end of the day, right? Like, why would you want to give anything like love Trump, try Trump's hate every day. So it's like, anytime I, I'm going, say, I'm, say if I'm going through something, say if I'm going through the motions of life and something happened at work, right? And I get that message. It just it makes me feel so much better, right? And I don't, and then it pushes that thing that happened from work away. And I'm like, okay, I could be, I could be in a better place. I have a different perspective now because it hones me back in to just loving and just being a better person. And I think that's also what it does, makes me a better person. Okay. Now, in this show, we do different little segments and stuff. I pay homage to, um, and like I always iterate how old I am. There was this uh, TV show that came on Friday night. It's called 2020 that comes on ABC, and it still comes on. Um, there was a lady on there named Barbara Walters that was very prolific. She does these, uh, asks these hard-hitting questions. There was a guy on there named John Stossel that does the, the comedy. Well, we're not here for the comedy because you're a fun person mm -hmm. and you have a, a great smile. So you can do that on your videos. And then there was Diane Sawyer. Diane Sawyer was the person that was in the middle. She was a great interviewer and she captured some good questions. But the whole setup was, was those two went before Barbara Walters. And at 1040 at night, Barbara Walters would have you questioning certain things. And you either went to sleep uh, knowing the end of what happened or wanting to be informed more about it and you go research it. And what we want to do here with this line and a question that I'm about to ask you, um, I want them to dig more into you and to get deeper into who you are. Okay. okay. Um, the first question, and this is the Diane Sawyer one. This is the fun one. What is a typical day for you? Okay. Typical day. I'm obsessed with coffee. I am like obsessed. <laughs> like I dream of my coffee. So in the morning, I love quietness. So I sit and I have my coffee, make sure it's like a good 20, 30 minutes of just silence. 
And then there I can meditate. I, um, so I study billionaires and millionaires, right? And learn what they do. So eventually can be, become one. Um, I just, I want to be comfortable, right? Right. So, um, so yeah, so I, I like to sit and I like to manifest what I want for the day, right? So I sit and I meditate and I manifest and I speak to existence, existence what I want for that day. So then I say hi to my boyfriend and then I go off to work. And then I come home and then I have to, have to, have to go to the gym. So I go, we found a MMA and kickboxing gym. So I get trained. Um, it's a ladies class that I get trained in by kickboxing champions. And it's an hour of like intense, tense workout. And I come out sweating and I feel that I, it, it, it's so it's so intense and so good for my mental health because if I don't do it, I didn't do it for a week because I had to watch my sister's dogs and I was mm -hmm. going, literally going crazy and I was had such a short fuse and whatnot. But the minute I got back to it, I, I was like back to regular Ariel and I was able to move and groove. <laughs> so. <laughs> Okay, now we're gonna get deeper into things. All right, so you go through this day, um, everything's going all right, and then something happens—a trigger. Because we have triggers in life, and we don't. That's the one thing, like that you talk about. The triggers are the things that, when you tell people about them, it makes them more aware of what's going on with them. And that's something that we don't talk about often. We don't talk about what truly triggers it. We'll say I got depressed, but we won't say why we got depressed. We'll just say I got depressed. This is how I dealt with it. So you're going through your day and something triggers you and it just puts you in a stance where you have to do uh, that famous thing. You have to either make a choice to put attitude towards it or take not take attitude and just do what works out to get you out of that trigger. So what are you doing? Something triggers you. Are you making the choice to use attitude or are you finding some other way to handle it? Okay, so nine times out of 10, I've learned if it's another person triggering me, it's something that they, they did, right? And that it has nothing to do with me. Anytime a person does something to you, or say if a person comes into the room with a bad attitude, and you're like, oh my God, and that makes you question, and that's the trigger to start your bad day. First of all, I, I check myself and I'm like, hold up, that has nothing to do with me. Their bad attitude has everything to do with them. And they're projecting about themselves and what they have got going on. So I kind of, I start with that. I talk to my, literally talk to myself. Number two, I go on a walk, right? Say if it's something that bad happened at work or, or not, but not bad at work, but um, like I'll, I'll excuse myself or since I'm a nanny, I, I will just literally put the kid in the stroller, put the child in the stroller and go for a walk. Cause that I find that really, really helps like releasing energy and that negative energy, or then I will call someone. I will, um, I'll talk it out or I'll listen to a podcast. So I'll find that I'll, I'll pinpoint the trigger and under talk myself out of it. Like, or I'll talk to someone and about it and I'll be like, okay, this is how you, this is what really went down. And this is just not me being crazy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I like that. I like that because they, they, once again, that's that rawness there. Now let's move on to the hardest question. Okay. And this is a question that like, like I, I developed this question because I had to ask myself this one day. Um, 
we go out here in the world and we help people. And a lot of us get put in that category where we will do way more for others than we'll ever expect for anyone to do for ourselves. So you said earlier that you have a quiet time at 20, 30 minutes or so in the morning. Is that the time that you do the self-care for yourself? Because when you're helping the world, sometimes you forget to help yourself um, in certain instances. We always do things and they help us. But personally, just talking about your personal time, that 20 to 30 minutes in the morning, is that your time? to rebuild that's actually a really good question i think i kind of don't give myself enough self-care so like in the afternoon i maybe give myself like another 20 minutes but when i'm at the gym i find that to be my self-care because i i am like i'm talking to no one i'm working all this stuff out of me it's all that toxic toxic stuff that's releasing from my body. And I'm, I'll literally talk to myself because it's a mirror and I'll like, I'll do the exercises and then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of just get it all out, my anger and stuff. And that's my self-care. Like if I don't go to the gym, I'm like, I'm screwed. Or, and it's even like whenever at night, like my boyfriend, he's my boyfriend's music producer. So when he's like doing his thing uh, or when I like, okay, I find reading. I get lost in Nora Roberts books. She, okay. She's an amazing, she's a bestseller, I believe in. She's just an amazing romantic. Um, I just get lost in those books and that's my self-care. Like I read at least a, but once a, one book a week from her and I just get lost in it. And it's like, it, that's also my self-care. So anytime I'm reading, I love it. Okay. And I, I like that because you're, you, you're telling us about yourself. And like, that's the one thing like that I love about doing these podcasts. You get more personable, you get more authenticity, like, because we see the videos and all that other stuff, but that question, no one may ever ask you that question again. Um, and, and I'm glad to hear like that you take care of yourself. That, and you said that you don't do it well, but your mental health maintenance just clicked in. Yeah. So you basically got it going there. All right. So Ariel, as a lasting effect on this show, because these things are submitted and they go on forever. Um, I would like you to do this real quick. There's a billboard okay. in, in a city. Um, I'm from West Virginia and I travel everywhere. You can catch me in New York, New Jersey, wherever. Your billboard is going to be in Freehold, New Jersey, because that's the city that I'm in love with right now. Freehold, New Jersey, or okay. we do Tom River or even Asbury Park. That's a better place because you got a beach. So you're at Asbury Park and they see a sign and it has Ariel Johnson. It has your face, your bright smile and everything. What does that sign say? Oh, um, uh, I want to kind of just, I know this is crazy, but I just kind of want to go back and just be like, always be kind. Like you, I, I know it sounds so repetitive and so, but it's like you, you can choose to be mean. Like people can choose to be mean, but you don't have to. You can choose to be kind and realize, spread, um, spread positivity. Always be kind and spread positivity because this world does not have enough of it. <laughs> okay. Now, let me give you something. I always give everybody a testimonial and some people I give gems to. So today I'm going to pass along something to you. There was a man named Charles Swindle. He wrote a very famous phrase, poem or whatever. It's called Attitude. And it goes like this, and it's real simple. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. 
Attitude to me is more important than facts. It's more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstance, than failures, than success, than what other people say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with this, we are in charge of our attitudes. And I want to give you that gem for the simple fact that you go out in the world, you're a positive figure with so much negativity around you. And it's so hard to blanket yourself to be positive, to, to break out into that, that strong armor, like uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, or any of these characters. And to do that and to keep a straight face with it, and then th to turn off that camera, to turn off that phone, to stop that conversation and go into yourself afterwards. Because this is what we don't talk about afterwards and say, hey, I feel good. I feel bad about myself, but I feel good about what I just did. You go on with life. So that's one thing I want to commend you on and thank you for, because we don't give everybody their flowers or that pat on the back that you should. So going forward with that little phrase that I gave there, you already do that. Yeah. You already pass that along, but that's the, one of the greatest references that I was given that at the age of nine. And I, I followed that, you know. Can I, actually, that's crazy. Can I elaborate on what you just said? Yes, ma'am. I went to a Kanye West concert a couple of months because I'm obsessed with Kanye, Jay-Z, um, whatever. So I went to, uh, I forgot, it was, I think it was the Glow in the Dark tour and he had those booklets. It was like the last day of his Glow in the Dark tour so at Madison Square Garden. He had that same phrase that you just said, 10% is what happens to you in life and 90% is of how you react. And that's part, that's in my book, I believe. And it's, that I had, I ran with that. I remember seeing that and having that booklet in my, in my room for the longest time and always open to that page because it's like, at the end of the day, you can react in a positive light or a negative light. And that kind of ties into always being kind. And I appreciate and thank you for what you just said. And thank you for giving that to me. I appreciate that. Yes, ma'am. And, it, and it's so crazy that with what you do, like, that's what was so amazing. And when uh, this conversation started, I, I got really deep into it because I was like, man, this is so positive. And it's something that, you know, will carry on beyond us because it's recorded now. It'll be released at some time and the whole yeah. world will hear it. So Ariel Johnson, I want to thank you for coming on West Virginia and Commonplace. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on here. Um elaborate with me on certain things and give the world all these. And I keep saying gems, like you said, we were redundant about uh, you talking about a portion and I'm talking about a portion, but we're redundant in some senses. But the thing is, is here's the message. Everyone, it's all right to take care of your mental health. It is, it is not something that should have a stigma or be taboo. Ariel can tell you this. And Ariel, if you don't mind, could you please leave us with a mission statement? And when I'm talking about a mission statement, please leave the audience with a lasting impression on who you are. Um, I'm just a person that gives light and love. Uh, and come to me if you need, like come to my uh, social media platform if you just need, if you're going through something and you wanna see my videos and kind of see a different perspective. 
and and be grateful at the end of the day you want to be grateful for the life that you live and yeah <laughs> okay so once again this is jr from west virginia and commonplace and ariel johnson who has joined me we are telling you guys goodbye hope you have a great day evening or whatever time you're listening to this and also ariel is going to do one thing real quick we have the shameless plug please ariel real fast tell everyone where they can meet you and greet you yeah tbi um at tbi underscore me on instagram tiktok facebook um youtube and yeah all right so once again thank you for coming on remember guys west virginia uncommonplace you can listen to it all kinds of crazy places and one cool thing about this episode um ariel will be providing me with all the information where you can reach her that will be in our show notes if you do listen to this episode on google you will find her in the search engine that's seo so that puts a lot of traffic towards her so definitely if you're on google podcast please listen click the links get in touch with ariel and let's start a better life for yourselves so once again i'm jr from west virginia commonplace you all have a good day night or whatever <laughs>